This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. feels. Uh, I don't think physicality and discipline have necessarily anything to do with each other because you can finish your hits heavy. I don't think that uh, a lot of the penalties, uh, four of the six penalties, the minors in game one were a minute and a half penalties. Like I'm both going both ways. I, I would say that about the calls that they got. Um, I think physicality and discipline are two different things. Discipline is a touchy subject right now for us, and we'll just leave it at that. That is Florida Panthers head coach Paul Maurice ahead of tonight's big Game 3 matchup as the Stanley Cup final shifts from Las Vegas to Florida. Paul Maurice and his Panthers find themselves down 2-0 in the series. As you heard from the Panthers head coach right there, physicality discipline those are different things and discipline a bit of a touchy subject right now when it comes to the panthers they'll need to fix that if they want any chance of getting back in this series and avoiding a potential game four elimination we know it's a serious hill to climb if they're down three nothing in this series we'll see what they have in store for vegas tonight welcome to the program this is sportsnet today Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, along with some outstanding producers this afternoon. Azam is here. Cam is here. Intern Callum is here as well. We're uh, getting you set for a busy two hours on the program today. Lots of Stanley Cup final talk as we head into game three tonight. Uh, we'll be all over that. Plus, it is the first Calgary Stampeders game day of the season. We are getting set for a 7 o'clock kickoff from McMahon. The Jake Mayer era begins for the Calgary Stampeders as they take on the BC Lions tonight from McMahon Stadium. Weather looks like it's going to be absolutely fantastic. We will have a live stamps report with Patrick Dumas coming up in hour two. Also, a little bit later on this hour, we'll hear from head coach Dave Dickinson yesterday. He held his final media availability before tonight's matchup, so lots to get you. We'll also continue diving into that big three-team trade we saw earlier this week between the Flyers, the Jackets, and the Kings. Bill Meltzer uh, from the PhiladelphiaFlyers.com is going to join us and chat uh, about the Flyers and what's next for GM Daniel Briere. His first major move as GM comes, and uh, he sends Ivan Provorov out. Brings in a couple players from the Kings, a couple of draft picks, uh, and he might not be done yet. So we'll see what's in store for the rebuilding Philadelphia Flyers. That will kick off our conversation in hour number two. But we are continuing right now to look at game three. It is the Florida Panthers. It is the Vegas Golden Knights. And the talk today around the Florida Panthers is how can they use that physicality that's led them to so much success in this postseason 
but avoid going too far the other way and finding themselves either killing penalties or late in games, finding themselves with 10 minute misconducts. That's sort of been the talk of the town today, whether it's Matthew Kachuk or Anthony Duclair, who we'll hear from in, in just a couple of moments. And it's interesting because that physicality has been really the calling card for this Florida team throughout the playoffs. It worked well against the Boston Bruins, certainly had an effect on the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Carolina Hurricanes, who only managed one win against this Florida team in nine games. But the Las Vegas Golden Knights turned to be a different beast in this scenario and are more than okay with the physicality. They're more than okay playing a skill game. You want to play a grinded-out game, they've got guys for that. And it's clear that the Florida Panthers need to change up their approach heading into tonight's game. Good news for them, one of their physical assets on the back end, Radko Gudis, will be in tonight. I know he's been a question mark the last two days coming off of that injury that he suffered in game number two, but head coach Paul Marie says he's good to go. That's an important piece for them on the back end, expecting them to go back to the traditional 12 forwards and six defensemen in front of goaltender Sergei Bobrovsky tonight. But let's hear from a couple members of those Florida Panthers uh, on a game day, starting with Matthew Kachuk and uh, just diving into some key parts for the Florida Panthers as they head into tonight's crucial matchup in game number three. The physicality in this series increased from game one to game two, what we saw the other night in Vegas. Do you feel that this team, looking at the situation you guys are in, impose your will from the opening puck drop tonight? Uh, I think we have to. Um, This is by far the biggest game of our season, so... Um, we know what has made it successful to get to this point, and uh, we're definitely not going to shy away from that. With that being said, we do have to, to tweak a few things to, to make sure that uh, you know, we're able to improve the results of how we're playing right now. Like I think in game one, it was right there for us, and uh, unfortunately to come out with it. But game two, we, we definitely got beaten and, and yeah, beat all over the ice. So. Um, in every facet of the game. So we definitely have a lot to improve on to get a win tonight. And Anthony Duclair speaking as well today uh, ahead of tonight's matchup in game three. Sam said this is a different team that we have faced in the playoffs in regards to the physicality. How do you counter that? Because we saw what happened in in game two the other night in Vegas. Yeah, I think the boys are just uh, fired up, a lot of emotions. But uh, at the same time, I think we just need to be a little smarter um, in uh, certain situations. Last thing we want to do is, uh, you know, keep getting penalties and uh, putting those guys on a power play. Obviously, they got tons of skill, tons of talent, and can make us pay. So, um, you know, we're going to see, uh, you know, a little smarter hockey tonight out of us. So a pretty similar message coming from the Florida Panthers, whether it's Anthony Duclair, like you just heard, whether it's Matthew Kachuk, whether it's head coach Paul Maurice, who we heard off the top. Physicality is still important to this Florida team, but finding that fine line has been a problem for them and clearly something they want to fix. Now, interesting, Maurice didn't go as far as to ripping into the coach or the referees or anything like that. Smart move. Of course, you don't want to be on the bad side of the stripes. Power plays were actually even after game number two. They were both 4-4 for the Panthers and the Golden Knights. Vegas just happened to convert on two of them. Uh, I'll bring in one of my producers, Azam, along with us. Azam, you've been doing games with uh, GVP. 
intermissions, post-game sort of stuff. You guys have watched this series. I find it interesting that Florida wants to keep this physical style going because I don't think it's led to that much success for them. I don't know that that's been their their biggest issue in this series has been worrying about penalties. I think they've got bigger issues than that right now. Yeah, definitely it's not the penalty side. It's more of that bar fight style of hockey that they're playing, that fine line. You can be physical and oppose your will and make it tough for your opponents, but you know that fine line of going a little too much, going after guys. We saw Kachuk do it quite a bit. Uh, and on text line yesterday, someone mentioned it, where he did that against the Dallas series. I specifically go to game two where he went after uh, Miro Hayes, uh, sorry, John Klingberg there, uh, which kind of cost the Flames a goal, and they ended ended up getting shut out that game. But that fine line of wearing your opponents down, but then ensuring that you don't cross that line. And I think a lot of those 10 minutes that were given out in game two were the referees trying to just control the game and not letting it go out of hand. Yeah, it's it's a fine line for them to walk. And if I'm Paul Maurice, I'm I'm trying to cut any of that extra stuff off as much as possible. And that may be impossible for a guy like Matthew Kachuk. Even at times, Sam Bennett, as we know here in Calgary, can be feisty and that sort of thing. But it's it's clearly not a strategy that I think, through at least two games, has had any effect on the Vegas Golden Knights. And I have to give them credit because, as we know here in Calgary, and anyone listening that's watched number 19 apply his trade over the years, he makes it very easy to make himself a target and to invite those extra shots. He grabs two guys in every scrum, Azam, and wants one of them. He wants you to hit him, right? He's hoping, please, please hit me in the face, take an extra two minutes. Vegas hasn't played into it at all. Has there been moments for both sides? Sure, absolutely. But I go back to game one with Nick Haig involved with both of those guys after the whistle. Grab onto them, sure. Make sure they're not getting in your goaltender's face, all that sort of stuff. But as far as the extra shots go, the little, you know, slashing of the stick, the punching in the face, whatever it is, let them do that sort of stuff. And it's worked well for Vegas. So if I'm Florida, it's going to be a lot of energy tonight. You're back in the Stanley Cup final in your own building for the first time since 1996. You know the building's going to be juiced. You have to use that energy in the right way because clearly – the Vegas Golden Knights haven't been bothered by that sort of style of play yet. Yeah, well, I think of the experience of the Vegas Golden Knights. They've played against Matthew Kachuk and Sam Bennett. I believe there's seven guys who are still on the roster from when they first became a team in the NHL. So they know what Matthew Kachuk wants to do. And they're like, all right, we'll tussle, but we're not going to take that extra step like he wants them to. So I think that little bit of experience and the guys have talked about it within the room, but especially in a building we saw what Vegas did in their building, how feeding off their crowd. Florida's got to do the same thing. And I, I, Bobrovsky's got to go back to his mentality of nothing's going to beat me and get back to that rhythm that he had in the first three rounds of this playoffs. And uh, his defense core will go a long way in helping him do that. Uh, I think one of the biggest differences we've seen in this series is uh, I'm always a big fan of the heat maps. Uh, that analytics have provided, and if you check the where the opportunities are coming from on the heat maps, uh, you know showing concentration of shots. Florida's biggest strength defensively this postseason in the first three rounds: keep everything to the outside. Give Sergey Bobrovsky or Alex Lyon, who started it off for them, give them as much time and space to see the puck as possible, and it's worked out incredibly well. What's changed in the first two games against Vegas? 
Vegas has found a way in, and I can count at least three times watching these first two games as on where I've seen Sergey Bobrovsky with that look that we see from goaltenders where he goes, I didn't even see it. I, I didn't even see it. You were there. The guy was there. I didn't even see that puck. And that's tough because you're taking him completely out of the play. Has he been fantastic? Sure. But even the best goalie can't stop a puck he can't see. And Vegas has found whatever it is, whether it's just the way that they play, whether it's the exact you know will and strength of their guys to get to the front of the net, they've done it better than anybody. And they've taken Sergei Bobrovsky from being that X factor to just being really, I mean, it's, it's below average, but I don't put it all on him. Sometimes those are just, you know, your factors of, of being uh, the, the defensive team around you, but they've done it better than anybody. Florida really has to figure that out because if they don't get back to that defensive style that pushed everybody away, I really don't think it matters who's in net. Yeah. And look at what Vegas has done for Aiden Hill. And I think yep. they've taken exactly what you said that Florida needs to done for Aiden Hill. He's everything's either to the outside or he's, able to track the puck, see the puck all the way from the shot to his, whether it's a blocker save, glove save, pad save, he's able to see everything. And that's what Florida needs to do. Make it easy for Bobrovsky. Because when you screen a goaltender, even Carey Price at times, who's probably arguably one of the best Canadian goaltenders or not goaltenders of the NHL, it's a tough, it's a tough task. And you can be in the greatest position, but if you can't see that puck, especially when it's within the first five feet of your net, it's going to get past you, and you need to talk with your defenseman, and communication is going to be key, especially going between the goaltender and the defenseman to see where that puck is and where to move around to ensure that he can see the puck. Really looking forward to this one. It should be a great Game 3 tonight. Excited to see that atmosphere in Florida. First time the Stanley Cup Final has been back uh, for the Panthers in a home game, like I mentioned, since 1996. Uh, so it's been a while and expect it to be juiced uh, at FLA Live Arena tonight. Uh, one of our producers, uh, Taylor, was sending us a, she sent a tweet the other day in our, one of our group chats that said, I think parking sitting at like 100 bucks, 125 bucks uh, to get into the arena lately just for parking. So uh, you can tell the buzz is on. Should be a great crowd. The whole Sportsnet television crew has made their way down. Elliot and uh, Jeff and the rest of the guys, BX and everybody's down there. So, of course, you can watch the game on Sportsnet and CBC or listen to it. Right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan puck drop set for 6 o'clock tonight. Game 3, Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers. And while that uh, series begins to end the NHL season, we're also getting set for the start of the CFL season. And it goes tonight from McMahon Stadium. Not just kicking off a Stampeder season, but we're kicking off the entire 2023 CFL regular season tonight at McMahon. It is the Calgary Stampeders. It is the BC Lions in what should be uh, a very fascinating game for two teams who have both made major changes at the quarterback position uh, in this offseason, but for different reasons. The BC Lions move away from Nathan Rourke, uh, the great Canadian quarterback who had an outstanding season last year. He has signed a contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know that from going back to the offseason. He will ply his trade for as long as he can. Hopefully it's a long career in the NFL. Uh, so the BC Lions have pivoted. Vernon Adams Jr. is their starter. Dane Evans, the former Ticats quarterback, is now backing him up. And in Calgary, you know the story. He finished off the season in the West semifinal last year in BC, taking over for Jake Mayer. But Bo Levi Mitchell, one of, if not the greatest quarterbacks in Calgary Stampeders history, 
has been moved on to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Jake Mayer now set to take over the reins at quarterback. And it's a, a really fascinating story. The in almost the entire West, uh, except for Winnipeg, has seen some massive changes uh, at the quarterback position. It's a new quarterback in Saskatchewan. BC's trying something different. I know Vernon Adams was there last year, but you know, full season now to be the starter. Jake Mayer is going to have the reins here in Calgary, and it starts right here tonight with a big West Division matchup between these two teams. The Stampeders are looking for new leaders across this locker room with Bo Levi gone, with Jameer Thurman gone. They still have some regulars. Reggie Bagleton's still here. Trey Roberson is still here. But how does Micah Alway handle things at that middle linebacker spot? Florina Limarada is gone. He's off to Toronto on a massive contract. Now, the Stampeders have brought back, uh, you know, a pass rusher in James Vodders. Julian Hauser is a CFL All-Star in his time in Hamilton. He'll get a start for Calgary. How effective will they be replacing a great pass rushing duo with Sean Lemon last year? A ton of questions. Really looking forward to this. We will have a Stamps report coming up a little bit later with Patrick Dumas, a live edition to get you set for tonight's game. But let's flash you back to yesterday. Hear from the head coach and new GM. He's got uh, double duties this year. It is Dave Dickinson. He spoke to the media yesterday, his final media availability before tonight's matchup to get you all caught up on everything around the Stampeders ahead of tonight's matchup against BC. Well, I mean, really... It is a little tiny bit confusing, for sure. Um, so basically, when the CBA came in, they tried to give uh, us coaches a little bit of roster flexibility. So uh, what I would consider a veteran American that is not a starter can play a certain amount of snaps for a Canadian, uh, and it's 23. And so now you got to figure out how to make sure, I guess, if you want to take advantage of it, take advantage of it. If not, because in our situation, we'll probably just play the game. Um, play the guys that you think can execute the calls and not worry about it. But there is that rule in there, and that is part of the reason our, our starting lineup will look a little bit different because we need to have guys that have been here a while not start to, to fit that category. So I'm sure that's added zero clarity. Yeah. It'd be nice if the league and the PA, because this is a PA thing. It'd be nice if these guys talk to you guys, and hopefully they can uh, explain the reasoning and all the and why we're trying to do this. Coach, you've had a number of weeks now to see what kind of team you have. If you have a winner on this team, do you feel like you you can win this? Yeah, year? we're young, but I uh, yeah, of course. I mean, hundred uh, percent. I feel good about our team, but I know we have we're gonna have growing pains. We got to get better. This better not be the best team that I got. We we got to get better. This better be a team that's improving. That each week is hungry and and goes out there and tries to prove that the, uh, they're the right guy for the job and we're the right team to get the job done. So uh, I'm happy with our guys, but we've got a long way to go. I'm, I haven't really been that impressed with our preseason. A lot of our vets didn't play much. We'll see how they play. What's what the challenge that uh, you'll have with Vernon Adams next to compared to Nathan Rourke from last year? Well, I mean, we challenge. they're both very challenging. They're different players, there's no doubt. You know, I think BC's happy with their quarterback position, and they've looked good in, in both preseason games who's ever played. So uh, they got a good system. They got good players. They got a lot of talent. Um, 
for us, it's it's going to be about uh, making plays on the ball and uh, and ultimately trying to get some pressure on their quarterback. I am not the first person to ask this, but there's obviously a change in leadership, sort of in the locker room this year. Bo's gone, Jameer's gone, um, some big voices. Who who has stepped up um, for you? Uh, you know what? I'm not in that as much. I I, I don't want to be telling people who the leaders are. I want the the players to decide that. And a lot of times it's in the locker room, you're right, which it's their home. I don't own that locker room. Players own that locker room. So I don't really know what's going on there. But I've been happy. We've been very accountable. I haven't, people have not been late. We're showing up when we're supposed to. We're doing what we're supposed to. So there has been good leadership in that room. Who those leaders are, I think it's more the players decide. Is it public who the captains are? Yeah, so yes, it can be. Um, so Jake's a captain, Renee's a captain, Wigo's a captain, and Reggie's a captain. Have you noticed a lot of difference in Jake coming in this year, knowing he's, it's his team kind of thing? Not really. He was a good leader last year. I mean, the guy is a football guy. No, I think Jake has shown from day one he got here. We were like, oh, we got something. This kid is confident. He loves the game. He's smart, competitive. Uh, he's got his feet in the ground, meaning that he... Not like super cocky from day one. So he does need to improve on on-field stuff because he hasn't played a lot, which means just keep seeing it and keep improving. And you read progressions, uh, predicting coverages and certain down and distances, field zones, that sort of stuff. He's got a ways to go there, but not in his personality, no. What do you like about this team that maybe you didn't like last year or the year before? What dif differences? Uh, short memory. I don't really care about last year and the year before because uh, – I'm working on this team. What I like is I feel we got a good blend of, of the leadership older guys with a bunch of young guys competing to play. You know, I don't have a great feel even for certain positions because I think there's multiple guys that have really shown they can do the job. The thing I'm going to try to promote is each week is a competition, so go play well, prove you belong to be out there, you stay. But if not, that, that next guy is going to be chomping at the bit, and, you know, by the time you four, five, six, Labor Day, you kind of get a good feel on who's your players, and hopefully there is when you take off and, and try to win it. Where Dave, do you find um, a difference in energy between a younger team versus a veteran teams that you've had in the past? Like, um, I don't know. Like I said, I have trouble remembering. I, uh, I just I just kind of focus on what it is. I know we've, we're a hungry team, though. We, uh, we're looking forward to game one. If you're not, though, <laughs> you're in the wrong business. Like, when the year gets to be a grind, as you know, in that – when you start looking in that week eight, nine, ten, that's when it grinds you out. Because once you get to 12, 13, 14, you, you see what you're playing for. It's those mid-season games. But we're not there yet. We're in week one. We better have good energy. Where are you at with the trail drivers at this point? So he's, he's working out. Uh, he's uh, going to try to see if he can go. He got hurt in practice a couple days ago, and it's not serious, but he's sore. So I'd like to see him play, but um, we'll see. Lee Henry we had such a breakout here last year. Um, you know, he's not going to take anyone by surprise this year, but what are your expectations for him and what does progress look like? Yeah, for him? I want him to just keep, uh, honestly, it's, he's got a lot of skill and talent. Uh, don't press. Just when the ball's there, make your plays. Be a, a selfless teammate, meaning, because receiver's hard. But if you're selfless, it means you're doing your job and if the ball will find you. But you know, a lot of times receivers are open and they don't get throws. It can wear on them. It can really, like, hey, I'm over here. Uh, but you don't control that, the, the calls and the, and the quarterbacks do, so just go out there, do your job, and the ball will find you. You've mentioned that there's going to be some guys disappointed that they're not on the roster. Do you approach those conversations differently with your extended job title now? 
No, I haven't yet. Uh, I called everybody that on my plan. I think we're all, everybody's been communicated with very clearly. And uh, I don't really try to necessarily, I'm not trying to soft soap it or tell them that, hey, we love you, but you're not playing. I just say that's part of the process. You can buy in or you don't. If you're the guy I think you are, you will buy in. Listen, when you're on the practice roster, you'll play in this league. I, I guarantee you. Last year, we played every single guy on our practice roster except for one global, Keanu. And so if you really want to be here and you're locked in and you feel you're good enough, you will play. You just got to, I guess, wait for that opportunity. Mike Rose sometimes isn't the... He's talkative, but doesn't seem to crave the attention from the media at all. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that, but it'll be a tough interview. Um, but he is a star in this league right now. He's been so good for the last couple of years. What, what does he mean to this team? And I mean, what are you expecting from him again? What I've, what I've liked about Mike is I feel like uh, really has matured. He's got a young family now. And uh, he's always been good. And he, you talk about a guy that's put basically done the hard jobs. He two years on the practice roster. And now you're right, he's done well. He probably has had his best camp. So same thing as Malik, though. Let the players come to you, do your job, do the gritty work, and, and the success and the, and the accolades will come to you. But um, definitely he has mellowed out a little bit with the family, and that could maybe affect his interviews. But I thought he was a pretty uh, vocal guy and a, and a fun guy to be around and big part of our team. He just makes a lot of jokes. Hard yeah, I would believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I can believe that. So, well, let's call him over. See if he can <laughs> help you guys out. You good? Thanks. 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 Peters head coach Dave Dickinson speaking to the media yesterday. His final media availability before today's season opener: Calgary Stampeders, BC Lions from McMahon Stadium. Kickoff set for seven o'clock. We'll have more Stamps coverage in hour two when we check in with Patty Dumas for today's edition of the Stamps Report. We will take a break, come back on the other side. Let's check in with our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli. He joined Russick and Rose in the morning with some news around the NHL, including the latest on the Flames coaching search. We'll hear from Frank next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, Sportsnet Today is rolling on. Logan Gordon along with you. Quick reminder, we will be also uh, will be along with you on Saturday afternoon as well. Uh, Pat Steinberg and myself broadcasting on location from Trail Appliances this Saturday from 11 to 1. You can join us for Grilling with the Flames alumni at Trail Appliances, 6880 11th Street Southeast. You can enjoy a meet and greet with some Flames alumni, including Tim Hunter, Dana Merzen, Colin Patterson. We're all going to be down there for a pay-by-donation barbecue lunch with proceeds going to Brown Bagging for Calgary Kids. Give me a chance to win a new barbecue valued at $2,200. Trail Appliances, family-owned and operated for 48 years with barbecues in stock, including Napoleon. For more details, you can visit us at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Hope to see you out there on Saturday with me and Pat broadcasting live on location. And hopefully by Saturday, we'll have some more clarity on the Calgary Flames coaching situation as we continue to monitor the situation, monitor finalists, getting interviews. You hear from different NHL insiders, whether it's Frank Saravalli, who we'll hear from in just moments, Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast. Sure feels like we're getting down to the last few names and Pat's been talking on Flamestock the last couple of days, how it feels like it's into that final stretch 
just like we were with Craig Conroy being announced as the GM, we're kind of getting into that same spot for the head coaching job. So maybe by the time Saturday rolls around, me and Pat will be discussing with you um, a new hire for the Flames head coach. And uh, that was sort of a thought process echoed by our initial insider from Daily Faceoff, Craig Cervalli, when he joined the guys on the morning show. Uh, it is called the Big Show of the Rustic and Rose. Uh, he joins them every single Thursday. Not only talking about Flames news off the top, but uh, a little bit on NHL rumors across the league, including uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who has told the Winnipeg Jets he would like to explore uh, a trade rather than signing a new extension with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, that's on the forefront. What comes next for all the teams involved in that three-team trade earlier this week and a bit on tonight's Game 3 matchup between the Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll start with the Flames conversation, though. This is Frank Saravalli with Rustic and Rose a little bit earlier today at the latest on the Flames coaching search. Very serious time of year. Lots of rumors flying around. Um, the head coach of the Calgary Flames, Elliot reported it. Some interesting names out there. We know the internal candidates, Ryan Huska, Mitch Love, and then all of a sudden, Travis Green and Todd Reardon. Um, is there a chance they go out of the organization here, Frank? What's your sense? I still think it's unlikely. Um, look, anything's possible. Uh, consider where the Flames were at a few weeks ago and the exact process that they went through. They brought in a bunch of external candidates. I think everyone was kind of thinking Craig Conroy made sense and would be the guy. And then the last person to get an interview in round two after bringing in all these external candidates ended up being Craig Conroy, and the process ended quickly after that. I'm told this time around, round two of interviews ended with Mitch Love, I think, yesterday or the day before. So I don't know if the order means something, uh, but I, I've I've thought from the beginning that Mitch Love is, is the front runner and is the guy, and he still would be the betting favorite, regardless of whether they've talked to people from the outside or not. We always had a sense they were going to do their due diligence and, and make sure that they gather as much intel as possible. But they're also still dealing with some real budget constraints. And not to say that Alex Tangay or, or Todd Reardon or Travis Green, even for that fact, might be breaking the bank. But still, nonetheless, there are real budgetary concerns with the amount of money that they're paying Daryl Sutter. This isn't going to be, you know, one of the top 15 highest paid coaches in the league. Mm. Now, what are you kind of expecting for a timeline here? Do you think they're pretty far down the road as far as, you know, is it just those four? Do they still have more interviews to do? Do you have any clue as to where they're at there? So, no, I think uh, Ryan Huska uh, was, was talked to as part of the interview process as well. So I think it's, my understanding, at least, um, is that it's Mitch Love, Ryan Huska, Todd Reardon, Travis Green. Uh, who am I missing? Um, a couple people that they spoke to have already sort of been out of the process. Alex Tangay would be five, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think there's six people that made it to round two. Do you think this is something that we could find out about by the end of the weekend, by end of next weekend? The draft is less than three weeks away now. Yeah, this is this is happening soon. They're hoping to have it wrapped up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if whoever the person that they choose, they're negotiating that contract today. 
you know, I, I think announcement as soon as Friday, but, you know, potentially over the weekend, early next week. It's, it's coming up. It's happening. All right. Uh, we're all interested and intrigued when it comes to that. Just uh, the business side of things that Craig Conroy talked about uh, when he was introduced as GM is, you know, the, all the UFAs on this team, Frank, I'm sure once the head coach is named, the, the Elias Lindholm conversation will be had and whether or not yep. uh, he'll stay long term. What's your sense? And is, is there is there already been whispers around a potential market for Elias Lindholm? Do you think he's going to stay here long term in Calgary? What's your read on the situation? No, I think all of that is pretty premature. Like you have to go through the process and first get to this person that you're going to name as head coach. Cause you mentioned it, Craig Conroy said one of the first things out of his mouth was, you know, these guys are going to ask me right away. Who's the coach? What's the plan? What do you want this team to look like? What are our goals and aspirations, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't think you can even begin to have those until you put the coach in place. I think there's been sort of a an informal uh, Craig Conroy making the rounds, just checking in with everyone, saying hi. And then, you know, the process begins in earnest to start to get some of these answers. Once the coach is named, he needed to check this big item off of his to-do list. and And then you can start to engage someone like Lindholm, who I would imagine – you know, is one of the first priorities, Lindholm and Hannafin and, and really getting a sense of, uh, of what their thoughts are. Do you want to be a Calgary Flame? That's the question that Craig Conroy is going to be asking. And depending on that answer, we'll let you know who will be in, in the lineup in October. What what would be the potential trade market for him if, if an extension isn't worked out? Obviously, that's something you'd want to do now before the beginning of the season. Like, what what would that look like to you, Frank? What do you think the price is for Lies Lindholm? I think it's pretty massive. I mean, you've got a guy who can score 40 goals and 80 points and can win a Selkie trophy. That combination of player is extraordinarily rare. And to have him on such a bargain contract for this upcoming season in what could be a flat cap world, I think is it's exceedingly valuable. So, um, you know, I, I think with the teams that are probably calling and kicking tires to get to the front of the line in case this goes the opposite direction and the flames are forced to move him, I'm sure that there's been a number of teams already that have called and or already engaged Craig Conroy at the combine in Buffalo saying, Hey, uh, just in case, I just want to let you know that I would be interested hypothetically, of course, if Elias Lindholm would <laughs> hmm. become available. Oh, very hypothetically. Right. Yeah, I definitely. Yep. Um, I wanted to ask you about the goalie market because we've heard names like Connor Hellebuck and UC Soros. We know the LA Kings need a goalie. Who are the teams that really interest you with the goaltenders, whether it's because they have a vacant position and they need a starter or they've got someone that they can move out given where their team is currently at? Well, you mentioned L.A. I would throw in Toronto where Bradtree Living is. I would include Pittsburgh where Kyle Dubas has arrived. What happens there with Tristan Jari, who's a UFA? Um, is Kyle Dubas going to re-sign Tristan Jari or go bargain hunting. I can't imagine that he's going to be spending future assets to bring in a goalie for the long term, knowing what's on the other end of 
these next couple of seasons when they try and get in. But what about some other teams that are in contending mode? What about the New Jersey Devils? Mm. And are you going to stick with Vanacek and Schmid? Um, you've got Mackenzie Blackwood as an RFA, and I think there's already been some chatter out there about some potential trade interest um, on the lower end of, of you know, assets that we're talking about going the other way so someone could get, a, get in front of um, him becoming a free agent with a qualifying offer that won't be issued. Um, you're talking about the Carolina Hurricanes who have both of their goalies hitting UFA in, in Ranta and Anderson, and they have Kochetkov there. Who are they going to surround him with? Like that's another team with significant expectations. And even on other teams that have been successful, look at the Florida Panthers. What are, like does Sergei Bobrovsky's contract all of a sudden become tradable? Mm. You know, if they're willing to eat three million or four million dollars, could they get someone to bite on Bobrovsky's deal for the remainder of that term at six million dollars? Maybe. Mm. And then is Spencer Knight ready to to take the reins because he's had a really tough season? I wanted to ask how you think Jacob Markstrom could fit into this entire offseason picture because I've been pretty adamant that I don't think that trading him is the right move and I think it would be very difficult given in his no-move clause in the year he just had. But do you see any possibility that Jacob Markstrom is a name that we start hearing a little bit this summer? I don't. Um, I think you hit it on the head that it's a difficult deal to move and I also think with how fickle the position is, He's also entirely possible to bounce back to being a really good goalie next year. To go from 922 to 890 is is like I wish my weight could fluctuate like that. Um, <laughs> it's it's an incredible drop from one to there, and it, it's to think that his he just woke up and forgot how to play hockey. Like that's probably not the case. Uh, he's not an old guy, and if he's playing well, if he's at the level that he was at two years ago when the Flames won the division, he's a bargain at his at his cap hit. And and more than that, um, I just think so much of what the Flames experienced this past season, a lot of it can be chalked up to goaltending. There's a lot of things that happened along the way, as we've well chronicled, but that's really the Flames' biggest things standing in their way, I think, from getting back into the playoffs. So if you can get Markstrom right, and that has to be one of the priorities from the beginning, um, and if you can surround him, maybe get Dan Vladar somewhere else and and pick up some assets along the way, he's definitely going to be in the trade mix. He's going to be in my next trade targets board tomorrow. I think they they all agree that – you know, with the play of, of, of Wolf and the Miners that he's earned an opportunity. And, you know, you look at moving forward, um, just the nature of the position, like you have to be betting on the bounce back instead of trying to sell now. So I, I don't think that he's going to be available. And, and more than that, even if he was, um, I don't, does it make sense to make whatever move that is to get rid of his contract? Sports at 960 NHL Insider Frank Cervalli brought to you by South Trail Chrysler joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. What's the trade market or what, what's the whispers you've heard about Carter Hart? Because apparently that's something that's 
uh, on on the front burner right now in the NHL. And is the team up north here in Alberta potentially interested too? Uh, they're not. Um, I can tell you that for sure. I think they think that they're pretty contractually locked in, not all that different than the Flames. Um, you've got Jack Campbell now entering the second year of that deal. Stuart Skinner got his extension last year. Um, it's They're pretty well set. And when it comes to Carter Hart in general, I think one of the big things, if it's not a team like the LA Kings, which they would have just pulled the trigger as part of that transaction earlier this week with the Flyers, and I do think they had an exploratory conversation last year about it, I have a really hard time drumming up the market for Carter Hart. What does that look like? Who's willing to spend the assets to get him? And the sort of unwritten thing um, and unsaid thing, and I'll, I'll be that guy and say it, is I think there's a bunch of teams that are holding their breath with any player that was on the 2018 Team Canada World Junior Team. That they're saying whatever punishment is coming from this potential punishment, how much would it impact or influence any one of these guys that are in the NHL? And do we need to be aware of anything? I don't know what the facts are. It's been difficult to sort and sift through that. And for good reason, no one wants to, you know, you're not reporting anything unless you're getting it confirmed by a police source. Um, And that's difficult to do with the investigations that have been ongoing. So everyone's kind of sitting here saying, yeah, like really talented goalie. Um, I'm really intrigued by the idea of, of him being a long-term solution for us in net, but what do we not know here? That's the scary part. Frank, how many deals do you think that Kevin Sheveldayoff will make before the draft gets going on, uh, or a couple weeks from now? Well, um, my guess is if he had it his way, probably not many. Uh, that's sort of his nature. He's a big believer in the players that he has. That said, I think his hand's getting forced. Uh, and they do have some leverage over Pierre-Luc Dubois. They can issue him the qualifying offer and take him to ARB and, and retain his rights for next season and tell him uh, if you don't want to show up, then you can go sit in the corner and suck your thumb. Um, but, I mean, when it comes to this team and picking up the pieces and, and finally turning over the roster to the Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers and Josh Morrissey group, I'd have to think that it's not just Dubois out the door, but also Mark Shifley. They've got a push to move Blake Wheeler. Uh, he had a significant influence on that team and their room, even though the C was removed from his jersey. And, you know, then you address the elephant in the room with Connor Hellebuck, where I don't, to my understanding, there hasn't been any contract talks to this point. Uh, obviously you can't sign anything until July 1st anyway, but it sure seems like he's heading somewhere else too. So they've got the premier goalie and premier centers on the market. It's an intriguing spot to be in, if not an uncomfortable one, knowing all the the work and business you have to do and complete. Um, We know that that story came out that Pierre-Luc Dubois wants to play in Montreal for the Habs. Do the Habs have any interest? You know, I would imagine they do. Um, what would that getting, cost? Uh, it's going to be expensive. Like, this is a guy with 70-point campaigns um, who's who's got size and has a lot of elements that 
when he's engaged and on is as intriguing a player as there is. Um, and I think the fact that you get another guy that wants to be in Montreal, like there's been a lot of guys that have wanted to go home and play there and not all of them work out. I think the last guy that we saw it that was so super excited to be there was Jonathan Drouin. And for a whole host of reasons, injury being part of it as well, it hasn't worked out. But I think wanting to be there is, is half the battle. Not everyone's ready for that smoke. And it seems like Dubois is. Mm. And with the forward group that they have, I think it's a really good one. Now with Caulfield and Suzuki and, and these other guys, Josh Anderson, like they've got some high-end skill, some size, some brawn. They need to fix their back end. They need to get a goalie that can can replace Carey Price properly and for the foreseeable future. A bunch of major boxes to check. But I think the forward group that they've built is, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they can fill some of these other holes to see that team contending for a playoff spot sooner than, than later. And that's not even to say anything about Slavkovsky and, and some of the young forwards that they have still on the way. Frank? The series shifts to sunrise. It is the Panthers and the Golden Knights in game three. Do you think that Matthew Kachuk, Sergei Bobrovsky, and the Panthers can turn a quarter and get this thing back on track? Man, I, I've been trying to, for the last two days, this double off day, been trying to really envision a path. What can the Panthers hang their hats on? What can they say, that's one thing that really went well for us in Vegas? Does what happened in Vegas stay in Vegas? Husbands and wives have been asking themselves that question for the <laughs> test of time. Um, but in this case, you know, you look through the laundry list of issues. Both special teams have been garbage. You can't defend in front of your own net. You're having trouble breaking out of your zone. You're not creating enough havoc at the other end of the ice. Matthew Kachuk has been a few degrees off center and has... Uh, the whole team has seemed off kilter. It's felt like the moment's been too big. And I didn't even get to Sergei Bobrovsky yet, who's allowed eight goals in 87 minutes. Um, I don't know where to start. I would think trying to settle in, even though the environment's going to be raucous, the first uh, 27 years to the day of the first Stanley Cup final game that was played in the state of Florida, it's it's going to be a great environment, but it's not going to mean much if the Panthers can't get out of their own way. That is our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. He joins Ruskin Rose on the big show every Thursday. Lots there with Frank. Pierre-Luc Dubois' trade request out of Winnipeg. Flames coaching search continues. Thoughts on Elias Lindholm and if there's value for what kind of value he might have if a return to Calgary isn't in the cards. Uh, always appreciate Frank's time there. He joins again, Russick and Rose, every Thursday on The Big Show. We will take a break, come back on the other side, kick it off hour two, uh, continuing to dive into that three-team trade we saw just a couple days ago between the Flyers, the Blue Jackets, and the Kings. What are the Flyers getting out of this other than getting away from Ivan Provorov, and what could be next for GM Daniel Briere as he takes the reins in Philly? Well, that's Bill Meltzer. All about that next as the this edition of uh, Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.